Hey there, this is Larry with Axe 29 today. Well, thank you for being here, and uh, we will be spending the next few minutes uh, sharing some things. I'm gonna, I am gonna go into uh, my testimony now <clears throat> before I. Uh, Last time I changed it and talked about what Acts 29 today means and, and how I got to come into that saying of Acts 29 today. So I explained that in the last episode. So now we're going to move on to uh, my testimony. And I don't know how many parts this is going to be, but uh, I need to get this in its fullness so that people can uh, be encouraged by by this whole testimony. I guess I could just start at the uh, at the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the beginning was March 8th, 1949 in Orville, California. Uh, that's the place where I was born, and of course I had no say, no choice in when and where and to what family I was born into, what country I was born into, and it still amazes me to this day that, you know, I was born where I was born, into the family I was born, but, you know, God in his infinite wisdom had all this planned out, not only for me, but for you and everyone else, before the foundations of the world were ever formed. And that in itself is an amazing thing to me, that God would have... Uh, had that all planned out for us, but that's that's the grace and mercy of our God. So I was uh, I was in California there for a while, and then when I was still pretty young, we moved up north to Washington State, and we eventually settled in um, Vancouver, Washington. That is right across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. Kind of a confusing place because, you know, when people ask you where you live and you say Vancouver, they say, oh, B.C.? I said, no. Uh, they said, oh, D.C. I, I, I'd say Washington. <laughs> and they'd say, oh, D.C.? I said, no, Washington State. So that was always kind of confusing. So a lot of times I just told people I was from Portland. And so I went to, uh, you know, the primary school there. And then uh, actually in high school, you know, junior high was was those formidable years. And, and in the early 60s, you know, I was in junior high, 60, 61, 62, 63. That was when Kennedy was assassinated. And those were very, 
troublesome times in America and things were beginning to change that would ultimately change not only America, but the whole world. And so I grew up in that time zone of the of the 60s and and 70s. So by the time I was in junior high, you know, I was, my mom was working a night shift uh, graveyard. She left it, uh, she was working swing shift. So she'd leave it like three o'clock in the afternoon, wouldn't get home to midnight. My father was working in heavy construction, so he was gone all the time during the week. He'd come home on the weekends sometimes. And so I was pretty much a latchkey kid before I, I knew what a latchkey kid was. And so I was kind of left to my own devices after school because when I got home, my mom was gone and I was there till you know, she got home midnight. So I was just hanging out with some of my neighborhood friends and, you know, we got into smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and, you know, that whole thing. And so by the time I got into high school, uh, you know, I had pretty much identified myself with the, you know, the kind of rebellious kids in the high school. <clears throat> you know, you had the sports kids, the jocks, you had the smart kids, the intellectuals, and then you had the rebel without a cause kids, you know, and that was kind of the group I joined up with. And so during those years, you know, it it got to be quite different at home. You know, my mom was, a my mom had been a believer for, you know, I don't know, since she was a teenager or whatever. Uh, but my father wasn't, and my one older brother wasn't. It was there was only two two boys in the family. I had a brother seven years older than me, and so we, the whole family was not saved, just my mom. And you know she used to try and do everything she could to get her family saved. That was her one great desire. And so you know she'd invite the pastor over after church on Sunday and you know, to talk to my dad and stuff because he wouldn't go to church. And when the pastor came in the front door, my dad went out the back door. And, you know, that was all there was to that. He didn't want anything to do with it. And my mom took my brother and I to church and the camp meetings, you know, the sawdust floor and the shouting evangelist. And, you know, when we were younger and, you know, I mean, I went to church every Sunday for years uh, when I was 10, 12, 13, whatever. And, you know, I, I couldn't figure out really what this was all about. You know, I, I just didn't get it. And so, you know, the pastor would come back usually on a way after a Wednesday night service and he'd come back and, uh, he'd sit down beside me and put his arm around me and say, Larry, you know, do you uh, you want to get saved tonight? You know, you want to accept Jesus into your life? And I'd say no. And, you know, so he'd go on for a little while. And, you know, I just kept saying no because 
I really didn't get it. I just honestly didn't get it. I didn't know. I couldn't figure out really, you know, who was who was Jesus and what was what was the importance of Jesus now, all these years later, because I knew he wasn't, you know, living on the earth now. And so in Sunday school class, you know, they always had this picture of Jesus carrying the sheep. You know, the the one that he'd gone after and left the 99 and 9 and went and got this other sheep. People said, well, the reason he was carrying him because, you know, he broke his leg. So he couldn't, couldn't go, you know, couldn't drift off. So he carried him back. <clears throat> I don't know how much water that story holds, but... Anyway, that was kind of the image I had at the end of all this churchianity was, I thought Jesus was a shepherd of sheep. You know, this guy was a sheep herder and he took care of sheep and I couldn't figure out why they were going on and on about him all these years later. And the other thing I came away with after all that time in the building where the church was gathering on Sundays was I didn't become a believer there, but I did come to believe. And what I believed was, is that I was going straight to hell. And the reason I believe that is because that's what they talked about 90% of the time. You know, this was in the days of hellfire and brimstone and, uh, you know, the guy talked about it like he'd been there, you know, very graphically and detailed. And uh, so when I got to where I I didn't go to church anymore, I thought Jesus was a shepherd of sheep and I was going to hell. That's That was kind of my mentality. So, you know, <clears throat> during those... <clears throat> During those high school days, you know, my mom, uh, when my friends came over to pick me up to go out partying or something, you know, she would, she would run out of the house and w behind me. And when I got in the car, she'd throw in a handful of tracks into the car and then go back in the house. You know, and my friends were like, Wow. You know, but we kind of got used to it. And so she, you know, she would do all these things, you know. And, you know, trying the best she could do, you know, to get us saved. But, you know, none of that, none of that was working on, on any of us. And so <clears throat> she... Uh, she had been in an accident in the early 60s when I was in junior high, and she got broadsided by a Cadillac, and she was in a Volkswagen. Turns out she had gone through a, a yield a right-of-way sign, and it was through traffic the other way, and so she got broadsided. Well, it almost killed her. And so she was in the hospital for a long time, and uh, but she survived. And when she got home, it was in the summertime, and I remember we had a 
a bed outside that she could lay on out in the fresh air. And she'd lay out there for, you know, hours and hours and hours on end, re recovering from her injuries. And she had a Bible in her hand. She was forever reading that Bible. And she was praying in tongues. She was praying in the Spirit. Tongues for edification, the revelation gift. And that was the two things I remember about her doing all that time that she was in recovery. And then when she could walk and she got better, even if she was doing the dishes or something, she would prop the Bible up in the window. And so while she was doing dishes, she was looking up when she could and, and looking at the Word, reading the Word. And it just so happened that in that Word, she found the answer to exactly what she was believing God for. You know, what she wanted more than anything was her family to be saved. And in that word, she discovered exactly what that was going to take and what the answer was. And so, <clears throat> you know, that would be that would be something that would change her whole world. So it would not only change her world, but it would change everybody else's world around her. So in the next episode, I will uh, continue on with this story and this testimony. And we will go into exactly what that was she discovered in the Word that changed everything for her life and ultimately for her family's life. And and then we'll go on and we'll, we'll look into some of this stuff. So, you know, it will be a, a great encouragement and a great blessing and a great faith builder, especially for people who are, you know, believe in God for their families, their lost loved ones, and that kind of thing. So, I don't want these to be too long at a stretch. So, I'm going to cut it off here. And, uh, we will catch you on the next episode of Acts 29 today. And, uh, thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the, on the next one. God bless.